Well, good morning, church. It was indeed a wonderful week that uh, Pastor Bailey and I had at the General Assembly there in Memphis, and the chaplain training before that, the Saturday, Sunday, Monday, till about noon on Tuesday, all the chaplains in the PCA got together and did our annual training, and uh, that's a really encouraging time. And so really the whole week was just a time of encouragement, a time of uh, renewing uh, our faith in the Lord, our faith in the gospel, in the power of the gospel, in Christ, the one who uh, saves us and redeems us, and, and really just emboldens us to, to continue this mission that he has given his church so many years ago. Uh, even as we find ourselves in a, a culture that is, at times may feel hostile, uh, this last week was indeed a, a great encouragement to all of us. When I was at GA, there was one gentleman came up to me. Uh, he started a conversation. I found out he was a deacon. He is a deacon at uh, church, uh, PCA Church somewhere in America. And, uh, and he was talking to me just about, uh, he was there just because he loves GA and he wants to see it. And he, and he said this to me. He said, he said, I wish every member in the PCA could attend a GA just at least once in their lifetime just to be able to see the, you know, get a little better insight into uh, their denomination. And as soon as he said that, it dawned on me, well, you all came to my mind, to be honest with you. Uh, I thought of you all because next year, GA is in Richmond, Virginia. It's just one hour away. So it's a fantastic opportunity for you all to actually go and see uh, firsthand, go through the exhibition hall and meet all the different vendors and different ministries going on. And, uh, and that'll be next summer, just an hour away. But if you can't make it, there's always uh, online. You can see these things online, what General Assembly is like. Uh, well, as uh, when Leonard asked me over a month ago to, uh, if I'd be willing to preach today, uh, I very happily said yes. And as I looked ahead to the date on the calendar, I realized that today would be Father's Day. And although in my ministry in Okinawa, I rarely ever did anything special for Father's Day, but I thought, hey, as a guest preacher, why not? Let's, uh, let's do a little bit with Father's Day today. And uh, I was thinking, okay, what passage could I pick out that might at least tangentially be related to the topic of fatherhood, some themes that might benefit the fathers here in the congregation today. And of course, as I was thinking about it, I immediately started thinking about how, what better father can we look to than God, our heavenly father. And uh, immediately Psalm 103 started to come to mind. And as I thought back on it, I realized I had never preached on Psalm 103. I just had never come across this Psalm for preaching before. So I definitely wanted to take this opportunity to to look into this psalm and to preach it this morning. It is a well-known psalm, a beautiful psalm. Uh, it's one that we find in the lyrics of the songs we sing. And by the way, whoever picked out the songs for today, absolutely perfect, uh, right along with the theme of, of our passage and the theme of the sermon. And it is a psalm that indeed defines who God our Father is to us his children, and certainly how his characteristics as the best father that we could ever have, well, it certainly is instructive to us who are earthly fathers. And indeed, Psalm 103 not, speaks not just of the blessings 
the temporal blessings of this life, uh, the blessings of a father, having a father in this world. But really, it's a passage that speaks of all of the many blessings that God gives to his people. And certainly one of those blessings is what we are celebrating this day. It is the gift of fathers. Psalm 103, it is a great passage. I encourage you to turn to it in your scriptures. If you have your own copy of God's word, please turn there. If you don't, in your pew Bible, it is page 594. It is a great passage that reminds us as God's children to count our many blessings. Or as verse 2 will put it, to forget not all his benefits. And so that certainly includes the blessings and the benefits of earthly fathers. But as I've mentioned, it also includes all of the glorious benefits that we have in this life. That God our Father, from his rich grace, he pours out upon us. And so this psalm indeed helps us to see that God our Father is a God of grace and it's from his amazing grace that we find a joy and not a temporal joy but a joy that will last forever and so uh, you hopefully you're there in your bibles to psalm 103 let me say a few more words of introduction here as your eyes start to scan down over the text you'll see from verse one you see it begins actually begins and ends the very same way in verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then you can see down to verse 20, when we're trying to think about who is this psalm addressed to, well, we see it's me, and then in verse 20 it says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels. You mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word, bless the Lord, all his host, his ministers who do his will, bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion, and bless the Lord, O my soul. And so even as we're about to read through this passage, who is this passage being addressed to? It's being addressed to me. It's being addressed to us. It's being addressed to the angels. It's being addressed to all of creation, but it's being addressed to creation. This is not a prayer. Psalm 103 is not a prayer to God. It is actually a sermon. It's a sermon to us. It's a sermon that David, David is preaching to himself to get himself to a place where he is ready to bless God in all of his circumstances of life to bless God for his marvelous grace because David understood that God is a father, a father who is full of grace. And so what's the objective? The objective is clear, right? The the objective that David is calling upon himself and even all of creation to participate in is to bless the Lord. He is to do it. The angels in heaven are to do it. All of creation to do it. Why? The question is the next question, well, why? Why should we bless the Lord? And David will give us the answer we'll see in verse 2. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. All right, forget not all his benefits. Reminds me of a song I used to sing as a kid. 
Count your many blessings. Number them one by one. List the ways in which God has displayed his amazing grace in your life, his steadfast love to you. Remember them. Bring them to remembrance. Meditate on them so that they will lead you to praise God by reminding yourself of God's grace to you. And then as we read through this, we'll see verses 3 through 19. It's the very body of the psalm. They do exactly that. They list example after example of God, our Father's amazing grace to us. And that's where we'll spend our time, the bulk of our time together this morning. Well, as we read through this passage, there's four very simple questions that I want us to be asking ourselves As we read this passage and you're hearing of all the ways that God sheds his grace upon us, the four questions I want us to ask this morning as we think of the Father's grace, how wide, how deep, how far, and how long is the Father's grace to us? Those are the four questions that we want us uh, that we want to ask. But before we read the passage, let's go before the Lord again in prayer. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We are so grateful for a time of study in Your Word, and as we come to Your Word, we bow our heads asking for help from the Holy Spirit as we study this word. Oh Lord, we as your children, we come hungry. We're longing to be fed the pure spiritual milk of your word. So Lord, would you hear us this morning as we hunger and as we thirst for righteousness. Oh Lord, fill us all for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right, well, Psalm 103, let's read through it together here. And uh, Leonard, would you remind me, do we stand for the reading of God's word? Let's stand together, church, as we read through Psalm 103. Psalm 103 of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice For all who are oppressed, he made known his way to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. 
He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels. You mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word, bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is God's holy and inspired and errant word, and may the truth of his word transform all of us. You may be seated. Well, let me say happy Father's Day to everyone in here who is a father. On this day, Psalm 103 is a, a great reminder to all of us to count our many blessings, to remember all the gifts that God, our Heavenly Father, has given to us, and certainly to rejoice in them. But let's be honest. If we were to be honest, not always easy days like this, sometimes celebrating the joy of Father's Day is a very easy thing, but sometimes not so much. There's different questions that can arise on days like Father's Day. How can we rejoice who have longed to be fathers but are not? And that describes some. And then where is our joy who have lost fathers for whom Father's Day maybe doesn't feel like a day of celebration, but perhaps is a day of sadness. And what about the fathers who, when they consider their own parenting, are filled mainly with regrets over countless missed opportunities and for all of the words left unspoken? What about the children, now grown, who looking back, perhaps even trace the scars of abuse or neglect from fathers who failed to father them as they ought. And so even as we ask these various kinds of questions, they remind us that the joy of Father's Day, it's perhaps a little more complicated than we might think at first glance. That even joy itself, whatever the source or of whatever kind, sometimes joy itself is is more of a complicated thing. Joy is something that we often find ourselves having to fight for, having to work for joy, that there are many things that often are threatening to rob us of our joy in life. Well, my friends, that's where Psalm 103 comes in this morning. It's where Psalm 103 comes in, and it can be so very useful because Psalm 103 shows us where we can go always to find joy, a joy that's not temporary, a joy that is not fleeting, but a joy that is lasting, a joy that is solid, a joy that is sure, a, a joy that is, that is God-exalting, a joy that we can 
have in our life that is lasting. And you'll notice that David, he calls us not to forget God's benefits. And so David himself, he wants to trace with us the many ways in which God, our Father, showers his grace upon us. And as I said just a moment ago, we're going to look at our passage today with four very simple questions as we consider God's grace And so the first question we want to ask this morning, as we are uh, taking in David's advice of not forgetting God's benefits, the first question we want to ask is how wide? How wide is God's grace to us? Well, take a look with me there at verses 2 through 5. And one of the words you'll see that is repeated time and again is the word all. Look at how the word all just runs through verses 2 and 3 as we're asking this question, how wide is our Father's grace to us? Well, look what he says. David says, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. How wide is the Father's grace, or consider the scope of the blessings that are in view here in verses 3 through 5. There is, he's speaking of forgiveness. There is healing. We see both of those in verse 3. So grace, it deals with, with sin. It also deals with sickness in the midst of both. We find the Father's grace. Well, where else? There's life and death there in verse 4. It says that he redeems our life from the pit. What is the pit David is talking about? Well, he's talking about the pit that is six feet down and about yea wide that one day each of us is laid down into. He's talking here about death. And David is saying it is God our Father our Father of grace, who is ultimately the one who redeems your life from death. He says he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And so what is the scope of the width of God's grace? Well, it is life and death. All of it is in the purview of God our Father's amazing grace how wide does grace go how far does grace reach my friends it is all of God's benefits to you he forgives all your iniquity he heals all your diseases sin and sickness death and life all of them fall within the scope of our father's amazing grace grace it's just like A rock, when we are a rock and water is being poured over that rock, that water is just like grace because the Father pours his grace upon us and that grace just seeps down into every fissure and every crack and every hole of that rock. And that's what the Father's grace is like. It covers us and it fills us. And so the grace of God our Father, how wide is it? It is comprehensive. It is full. Your need for grace cannot exhaust the grace that your Father provides you. Your sin is never so great 
that his grace cannot cleanse you. Your sickness is not too severe that his grace cannot either sustain you in it or deliver you from it as God wills. And when one day you face death, if you face it in his grip of grace, death need hold no fear over you. For all the demands of life, sometimes those demands that feel like they're going to overwhelm us, they ultimately cannot overwhelm us because God's grace will sustain you. God, just as the Apostle Paul tells us, God, Paul puts it this way, God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And so you see, my friends, there really is no risk to us entrusting ourselves to a father like this, a father who is full of grace. We can entirely entrust ourselves to God's grace because he is a father who will save you. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will guide you. He will sustain you. He will deliver you. He will heal you. He will bring you home to glory in the end. Death will not hold you and life and the troubles of life will not overcome you. You see, a life lived in the grip of the Father's grace, it is a life filled with reasons, you see, for us to bless the Lord and to give him praise. Why in the world would you ever even try to live any other way than in the grip of our Father's loving grace? You see how wide God's grace goes? The reach of grace, David says, goes all the way to deal with your sin and your sickness, with your life and even with your death. There's more grace in him than you could ever use. My friends, that is how wide our Father's grace is. Well, secondly, let's ask the next question. We should ask, then how deep, how deep is the Father's love. We just sang about this just a few moments ago. How far down do the roots of grace go? Where does it come from? What is the very source of grace? Well, take a look with me again in your Bibles to verses 6 through 9, and you'll see here just how deep the Father's love is. Our text says that the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever. You see where David now is reflecting in this part of the psalm. He's reflecting on Israel's history. David here, he's reflecting on the great work of God back in the days of Israel as they were being brought out of, e out of Egypt into the promised land, what we call the Exodus, as they're being rescued from Egyptian slavery. And it's in verses 6 and 7 of our text that that David's reminding himself of how God acted in righteousness and in justice during the Exodus on behalf 
of his oppressed people. And there he says this. He said, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel, when he brought him brought them out by his mighty right hand from Egyptian bondage and slavery. You know, it's in the story of the Exodus that, that God explains to Moses in the context of his covenant why it is that he would do that. Why did God bring the Jews out of Egypt? Why, why would he do that? Why would he choose to rescue them from bondage in the Exodus? The Exodus, the, the greatest salvific event in all of the Old Testament was the exodus of God's people. But why does God do it? Well, Exodus 34 verse 6 tells us that God explains why he acts to save. And David is actually quoting here. Exodus 34, 6 in verses 8 and 9. And he tells us this. Why? Why would God redeem his people? It is because the Lord is merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. You see, God is a God who saves. God is a God who loves to save his people. And that's who he is. That's why he does what he does. And the Exodus deliverance of the people of God, that is the very fruit we see in the Old Testament of the very nature of God, the faithfulness of God, the love of God, and certainly the grace of God. And so, you know, I think if if we as modern-day Presbyterians were to ask our catechism question, what is God? Well, we have an answer for that, right? Kids, what, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And you know, that's a great answer that our catechism gives. But how would an Old Testament believer ask that question? If you were to ask an Old Testament believer, what is God? How would an Old Testament believer go about trying to explain to us who God is? Well, you know, I think they'd probably answer this very way. They would say, listen, God is, God is merciful. God is gracious. God is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. And you know what? That is a great answer to the question as well because that is who God is. And it shows us the depth of his grace, the very source of salvation, the very reason that God rescued his people in the Exodus Because he is this God. And here is David rehearsing this truth to himself as he's reminding himself of the very God that he serves. As he's looking back to the very source, the very character of God so as to remind himself who God is and what he has done for the very joy that David has in his heart so that David might praise him. And saints, let's take... David's example here because we need to do the very same you know we can we get to look back not at just the exodus we get to look back to an even greater deliverance than Egyptian bondage don't we because God's mighty right hand is bared in the redemption of his people in a far more glorious way at the cross of Jesus Christ because that is the ultimate redemption of God because it was there that the Lamb of God, 
The Lamb of God, our Passover Lamb was slain. The Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, it was there. It was there at Calvary that the chains of our sin were broken and that every believer in Christ was set free. And you ask yourself, and why? Why did God do that? Why did Jesus Christ die on a cross for us? Why does God provide redemption for sinners who deserve his wrath and curse? And why does he provide it by the means of the blood of his own son? Well, you see, the Lord, David is reminding us, the Lord is merciful. And he's gracious. He's gracious to you, friends. He's slow to anger to you. He's abounding in steadfast love to you. John reminds us, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you see how David is thinking? How he's fighting. Here is David, he's wrestling in his own heart, his unruly heart, so that whatever circumstances David may find himself in, he is able to bless the Lord and to give God praise. And he starts with the redemption that God has provided. And he goes to the depth. He goes to the depth of God's grace, to its very source, its very reason, in the very depths of the love of God. And David says, you see? You see what God has done. This is who he is. And this is the God that we still have to this day. The God who saved He is a savior still. The God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, he is still slow to anger. And his steadfast love still abounds to you and toward me. And we need that. Don't we? We need to preach the gospel. And that's what this is. This is the gospel in Psalm 103. We need to preach the good news to our hearts, especially when the dark clouds roll in. And there are, as we look at our circumstances, perhaps endless reasons why we may feel that we have no reason to bless God or to thank him for our circumstances. And maybe we feel like we are just in a grumbling mood or melancholy has come across us. Well, here is David saying it's in those very times that we as God's people can look to our Father, our Father in heaven, our Father full of grace, and we can say to him, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, How do you do that under a dark cloud? Well, friends, you do it by preaching the gospel to your heart. By preaching the fact that God has delivered. This God of grace has delivered. He's delivered by the gift of his son to set you free from slavery to sin because he loves you. My friends, do you hear what I'm saying? You are beloved by your heavenly father. And he loves you still. You know, and I wonder if any of us have lost sight of the character, character of God. Because you see, David here, he's preaching the Exodus to himself. 
because it is there that he sees the love of God. And in the like manner, friends, we need to preach the cross to ourselves. And we need to preach the cross daily to ourselves. The cross, someone once said, the cross is the pulpit of God's love to us. And if you wonder, does God love me? How could God love a wretch like me? I mean, look at me. I feel so unlovely. I feel, how could he possibly love me? How could he possibly want me? And it's in those very times, friend, you go to the cross. You go to the cross because it's at the cross that he preaches his love. And he's saying it's at the cross. This, this is how much he loves you. So you go to Calvary. And it's there that you see from his head, his hands, his side, sorrow and love flow mingled down. You come back and you survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And there you will see love on display. The, father's, the Father loves you and he loves you so much that he gave his son for you. And my friends, as we meditate on that, that will rekindle joy in the infinite loving kindness of God our Father and of his mighty grace. You know, there may be some of you here who have been keeping your distance from God. Maybe you've been around church, you've been around the Christian church for some time. You may be interested in church, but you're just not yet committed. Well, why would you hang back anymore? David is saying this This is your God. Do you see what he's like, how he loves you? What he has done for sinners like me and like you in the gift of his son? Friends, why would you resist? Why would you hold our father at arm's length? Why not run to him because he is a God of such love? You see now, not just the width of grace, but the depth of grace. It is sourced in the very heart of God himself. This is who he is. This is what he's like. There's no reason to run away from him. Oh, but dear friends, there's every reason to run to him. Well, thirdly, how far is the next question? How far? How far does the Father's grace go? Take a look with me at verses 10 through 12. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And so I ask you this morning, how far Does our Father's grace go? Well, what is David's answer here in our text? It is as high as the heavens are above the earth, and it is as far as the east is from the west. That is how far his love will go. And you see the target in these verses here, particularly in this section of the psalm, the target really is our sin. You notice how many different synonyms David uses here uh, as he's talking about sin. He, He talks about how he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. So far does he remove our transgressions 
from us. Sins of all sorts, sins of every kind, sin in all of its dimensions, sin in every way that you can describe it can find pardon in this God and in his grace. And David is saying, my friends, he's saying, this is how you measure the grace and the love of God. You know, go ahead, get out your measuring tape. What do you measure? Measure the distance of the earth to the heavens. Measure the distance of the east to the west. That is how immense, that is how vast You see, his grace and his love is unsearchable. It is limitless. You may remember, actually, Paul in Romans chapter 5, he says something very similar to this. Paul, he offers another measurement by which we can assess the dimensions of our Father's grace and love towards us. David here, he's suggesting this idea of an infinite distance. But what is it that Paul, how does Paul measure the love of God the love that has no limits. Paul in Romans chapter five suggests this. He suggests an infinite cost, an infinite worth. You remember what he says in Romans five. He says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do you measure the love of God for sinners, for rebel sinners like me? Well, as far as the east is from the west, as high as the heavens are above the earth, you measure it ultimately by the dimensions of the cross. This is how far love will go. This is what God will provide in order to take a sinner and turn him or her into a saint in order to take the guilty and to make them clean, in order to atone for sin that we would be reconciled to our Father. You see, David is saying here that no one, no one is so guilty, no no one's sin is so severe, there is nowhere to which you can wander away from which God cannot bring you home. And that's good news, friends. That is good news. There's no sin for which God cannot provide cleansing. There's no guilt that will press down upon you like a weight that God, by his amazing grace, is not able to take off of your shoulders by his infinite grace. He has provided atonement in his son. And what did Jesus say on the cross? He said, it is finished. It's finished. That means that he bore the weight of your sins so that you may never bear it again. The weight of guilt lifted. You know, some of you, some of you even yet still may live under a weight of shame and guilt. What do you do with it when you feel that way? Well, he is abounding in steadfast love and he's made demonstration. He has made proof of it by the cross, that there at the cross, your sin has been washed away and it's been washed away forever and ever. And so David is saying, come, come to the cross, come to Jesus, acknowledge your sin, acknowledge your need, and he will make you clean. He can lift up your head and you are pardoned and you're accepted forever and ever. You know, some of you here are believers 
who have come to Christ, you've trusted in him, you have repented of your sin, and yet still you wander around with a burden of guilt and of shame. And it may be because you've somehow come to believe that somehow, for some reason, you need to feel for, that, you, that you can't feel forgiven unless you're wallowing in misery and in guilt. That unless I can really, really feel ashamed that I have no right to believe that I'm forgiven. Well, brother or sister, if you are feeling that way, I want to encourage you this morning that if you're feeling that way, you're not really repenting. You're doing something that is called penance. And God nowhere in the Bible calls us to do penance. You see, God nowhere asks us to try to qualify ourselves for grace or to somehow make ourselves acceptable or somehow to do something of our own or feel something in our hearts to win acceptance with God. And so if that is what you're doing this morning, as a minister of the gospel, I say stop it and believe the gospel. Listen, if you're living a life of rebellion against God, then listen, guilt and shame is a good thing to feel. You should feel guilt or shame if you're living in rebellion to the gospel. But if you believe the gospel, once you have run with your guilt and your shame to, your, to the cross, my friends, your burden is gone. And so leave it there. Leave it at Calvary. Cast your sin on Christ and leave it there because, friends, you are forgiven. You are clean. You are pardoned. And friends, that is a reason for joy. Lastly, our last question this morning is how, how long? How long? We've considered how wide the Father's grace is comprehensive. How deep does it go? It goes all the way down to the cross. It goes all the way to the very source, which is the love of God for you. How far does it go? All the way to your forgiveness, a forgiveness that is full and free forever. But finally, how long will the Father's grace last? Is his grace a a temporary thing? Is it a a fickle thing, a fleeting thing, a, a temporary thing? Is it something to which you attain, but then you might lose at any moment? Look with me at verses 13 through 19. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Now, guys, stop right there for just a moment. He starts here with the compassion of God, that God, he is an ideal, he is a perfect father. Our earthly fathers, they're not perfect Even the best of earthly fathers are filled with inconsistencies and are filled with failures, but not our Father in heaven. He is a perfect Father, full of compassion. Why does he start here? Because he's about to highlight our fragility, how fleeting our lives really are, and what good news that God is a God of compassion because the objects of his compassion he characterizes here as dust, Verse 14, or as grass, verse 15, a flower of the field, 
All it takes is a, is a scorching wind at the height of summer and the flower withers and dies. And my friends, that's us. That's what David is saying. That's your life. That the very epitome of fragility and impermanence. You know, the sense we have, especially when we're younger in life, sometimes don't we think that life is just going to last forever? That nothing can touch us here on this earth? that we're just going to go on forever and ever. Well, that's the very illusion that David says that will soon evaporate for every single one of us in the grim light of death's inevitability. But, verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And so, my friends, our lives are fleeting things, to be sure. Dust, grass, a flower of the field, a summer bloom that soon withers. And that's right. But the steadfast love of the Lord blazes from eternity And it never ceases to shine. It is from everlasting to everlasting. His throne is in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. And it is from his throne, from his established dominion, flows a river of love to you, a river of grace to you and to every one of his children that is never quenched and never ceases to flow. And so, yeah, this morning, On this Father's Day, we should make the most of every opportunity. David is right to say it. You may not have all the time that you think you do. And so we should take the time we have to rejoice. And we should celebrate with your fathers the great gift that God has given you in them. Yes, yes, take every opportunity to be sure. But as you do, will you make sure Will you make sure that your life finds its security and its deepest joy, not in any earthly blessing you may have, however cherished it is, but in the everlasting steadfast love of God, in the solid rock of unending grace? My friends, time is short. All flesh is as grass. The wind passes over it and it is gone and only grace endures. Only steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting flowing out of his throne. And so David here invites us this morning. He invites us to come and bend the knee to the one who is seated there. Or as David puts it in Psalm 2, kiss the son lest he becomes angry and you perish in the way. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Friends, come. Come and bow the knee before King Jesus. That is where you will find steadfast love. That is where you will find the Father's grace, a grace upon grace. There is nowhere else but it is in him that is freely available to you. And so friends, his steadfast love never fails. It never stops. It never ends. He will never let you go. He will never relinquish his grip. He will never, never withdraw his grace. Not ever. The grace of God is unendingly reliable. Friends, you can depend on it. You can depend 
on it. And so we need to learn the lesson of this psalm this morning, don't we? I know I certainly do. I need to preach the gospel to myself. I need to build a pulpit in my heart and I need to thunder away, pounding away day by day, telling myself, Mark, remember the gospel. Remember what God has done for you in Jesus. See how much you are loved in Christ, how you are ransomed and healed and restored and forgiven. And then give thanks and sing with the psalmist, bless the Lord, O my soul. My friends, how wide is the Father's grace all the way to the limits of your need and then beyond? How deep is the Father's grace? Its roots lie in the cross and in the love of God the Father for you. How far does the Father's grace go as far as the east is from the west? And how long will it last? It will never fail. It's utterly reliable. So friends, you can depend on it. Depend on it. Let's pray. Oh Lord, oh Lord, forgive us for the times that instead of repenting, we are merely doing penance. For feeling like the only way that we can allow ourselves to believe the gospel is to feel that we are sufficiently wretched and we just want to wallow in that. Oh Lord, forgive us for staying in our guilt and shame in the hopes that by it we could somehow feel guilty enough that we will never return to our transgressions, all the time neglecting what Christ has done for us at Calvary, where our burden can truly be lifted and our conscience can truly be made clean. Oh Lord, would you on this Lord's day once again help us to run back there, that as we see sorrow and love flow mingled down from his head and his hands, his side, as we think again about the cross of our dear Savior and we see and we hear your love proclaimed to us in it, O oh Lord, would you once again rekindle in our hearts joy that we too, along with the psalmist, may say, bless the Lord, O oh my soul and forget not all his benefits. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.